have a nice sugar maple here. Uh, this tree is it's about 20 to 22 inches in diameter. It could probably support two buckets. We're just going to put one on for today. Um, we're going to find a, a good, comfortable spot to drill the hole and to empty the buckets from, and that has a nice, clean face in the bark, that there's no obvious problems or issues with the tree. We're going to put the drill up to the tree. Drill in. Put the spout in. And you saw that the, the noise kind of changed. It got in. It stopped going in much. Shut and that on. sap is dripping out. Oh, hi. We have a larger <laughs> hole. You were so surprised. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I was watching a YouTube video. Wow. You weren't just sitting there silently staring at the screen waiting for me? Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, shalom, shalom. Shalom. You little slut. Uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, shalom, shalom. How are you? I'm good. We're back in the woods. Good. <sighs> Where you belong. Mm -hmm. Right. No one can see me. Except me. You're like the kid in The Giver. You know, the one who gets all like the secrets bestowed oh, upon them. Oh, right, right. Remember that creepy book? Right. Mm -hmm. Yes, who ultimately has to like bear the weight of the sins of an entire society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like that. Great. You have to come and like communicate with me twice a week, you know? Right. And receive your knowledge of atrocities. Yep, that sounds accurate. How are you, Hava? Bruch Hashem. I'm okay. Uh, it's been a little warm recently, which has been cute. I've been taking walks. Walks? Which has been pretty cool. I love to take walks, as you know. You do like walking. So that's great. Uh, my mouth is healing. It's mostly done, but it's like, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know if you've ever had an illness or injury or something that it just drags on. And even though it's not severe, mm -hmm. just the amount of time it drags on starts to become its own hellish experience. Yeah, it's called life. Lava. <laughs> so I really just want my mouth to be done and to like fully chill out. But that time has not come yet. But I'm good. Just working, working on that Talmud shit. Um, applications opened yesterday for the Trans Halacha Project's Teshuva Writing Committee, which is a very cool thing that everyone should look into. Trans Halacha Project, title, pretty self-explanatory. A project about Trans Halacha. <laughs> You're just looking at my face like, uh... <laughs> no, you looked so confused. Yeah. And then a teshuva is sort of a specific genre of halachic literature. What has historically happened in the teshuva genre is that people would send halachic authorities questions, and then those halachic authorities send out a response called a teshuva. Mm, so okay. the Teshuva Writing Collective is this group that's going to get together over the next year and like create a bunch of halachic literature together. Oh, wow. So if you're trans and you love halacha, you should definitely apply to be on that because it's really cool. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds like good stuff. Yeah. It is good stuff. I recently restarted crocheting, which is nice because I have this like unfinished shawl that I have been working on for one of my best friends for like, it's been in progress for at least a year, mm. um, which I, if I had been continuously working on it, I could have finished it in a month. So I feel like very proud of myself for restarting it because it's been haunting me for that entire year. Really? And it's about to be her birthday. So it'll be the perfect time for me to finish it. Wow. Okay. Well, that's great. Everyone loves a shawl. Cool. Um, great. 
Great. You ready to explore this this shit? You didn't even ask me how I was. I we started with talking about how you were. What and did you I said say? you're back in the woods and that you're like the person from the giver from oh. whom I must receive the knowledge of the atrocities. Oh, okay, yeah. That's fine. Did you have more to add on top of that? Uh I'm going to tap some birch trees today. Ooh, to get birch sap? Yeah, birch sap. You're going to make birch syrup? Oh, no, we're just going to drink that shit. I'm just going to drink it straight. Straight up? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. That's cool. You could ferment it and make birch liqueur. Oh, that's true. Okay, that's basically it. Great. I love that you added that. Let's get into it. Okay. So, we are answering a wonderful listener question today. Hi, Talmud Hotline. So, I have a question that's currently a mess of thoughts around idolatry, representing oneself honestly, and anti-Semitic tropes, and I'm hoping you can bring some Talmud that will inform how I navigate this space. So, I sincerely believe that pledging allegiance to a flag is idolatry. So, I don't pledge to or salute a flag even when social pressures would have me do so. But this has gotten me mistaken for a Jehovah's Witness in the past. I don't want to misrepresent myself as a Jehovah's Witness. I'm Jewish. However, if I try to correct a false assumption that I'm a Jehovah's Witness and explain that I'm a Jewish person who believes the pledge to be idolatry, I'm afraid that I'll play into the dual loyalty trope somehow. I've been trying to reassure myself in the knowledge that I don't owe strangers explanations about my religiosity, but I feel I could navigate this better if I were more grounded in Jewish thought. Do you know of any Talmud that can help me sort through all of this? Thanks. So, great question. Mm, was great very excited question. to get this question. Any thoughts right off the bat, Michael, before I consult the sages? Well, there's the question of whether or not doing the Pledge of Allegiance. There's the surface level question. of Right, whether that's or not. mostly what we're going to be diving into today. Oh, okay, okay. I think there are other things there, too, like... Like, should you hold yourself responsible for... Other people... Other people's it? perceptions of dual loyalty. I think the larger question, besides the larger question, the smaller larger question, <laughs> is why do we need to care how other people perceive us? Yes, there is, I think, a whole question in there about how do we relate to when people perceive us to be fulfilling anti-Semitic tropes, but I latched onto the part of the question that was like, I think I would feel better if I could reassure myself with being more grounded in Jewish thought. And so that's that's the part that I felt most equipped to address in a concrete manner. All right, well, let's go into the Jewish thought. So there's two sort of main issues when getting into something like the Pledge of Allegiance. This one doesn't apply so much to the saluting, but specifically to the pledge. So the two issues are idol worship and oath-taking. Because if you think about it, the Pledge of Allegiance is also somewhat of an oath, right? Yes, and yes. oaths are, are very highly regulated in Jewish law as to like when it's appropriate to take one, when you shouldn't take one, what you have to do if you break one, all of that stuff. So there's a question of, is the Pledge of Allegiance halachically an oath? And if so, is it allowed? And two, is the Pledge of Allegiance a Votazara? Two separate but important halakhic questions. So the oath one, pretty quick to address. In the Shulchan Aruch, Yoridea 210.1, our boy lets us know, and there's a bunch of Talmud on this, but I just went ahead and went straight to the halakhic codes for this question. A vow is invalid unless one's heart and lips are aligned. Therefore, if one intended to say wheat bread and actually said barley bread, both kinds are permitted. If one, however, intended to say wheat bread and just said bread, they are only forbidden to eat 
wheat bread. And if one vows according to the intentions of others, the definitions follow those of the other, and the vow applies to these. So basically, Shochan Aruch is telling us a vow needs to have an alignment of intention and speech. So if you're vowing basically to not eat different kinds of bread, then if you mess it up, like let's say you want to vow to abstain from barley bread, but you accidentally say wheat bread, Mm -hmm. whole vow is canceled. Okay. All right. Because you messed it up. And so, I don't know, maybe you can take it again. That's beyond the scope of of our question. But if you want to abstain from wheat bread, let's say, and you just said bread, Shochan Aruch says it's valid because wheat bread is still a subcategory of bread. Got it. Okay. Basically. And so, the vow is still valid in that case. And if one vows according to the intentions of others, the definitions follow the others. So, if... I vow, like, I'm going to abstain from wheat bread as long as Michael doesn't cut his hair, then your intentions become a part of that soupy mix as well. Until Michael is satisfied or something like that. Yes, that's another great way to think of it. (laughs) I like this. And so one of the answers to this whole question is that if we do think of the Pledge of Allegiance as a vow, those United States's intentions come into it, right? Because in the Pledge of Allegiance, there's this whole thing about liberty and justice for all. You could say, basically, you are pledging allegiance to the flag as long as liberty and justice for all are a quality of the United States. Okay, 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 okay. Right, you're saying, here are the qualities that describe the United States. One nation, under God, indivisible, liberty and justice for all. As long as those qualities are true, right, the vow is in effect. Well, okay, a simpler, if we boil this down, maybe we can understand this. Say you give a vow that's like, I vow to not eat wheat bread until Michael, the beautiful nymphette, (laughs) is satisfied, okay? Right. So if... At some point down the line, God forbid, I stop being this like gorge, you know, fucking (laughs) forest creature, right? Right. Or if I never was that forest creature, is that description of the other stakeholder in the vow? Does the inaccurate description invalidate the vow? That is my reading of the source. Okay. And a, a reading I also saw some other folks have. I don't think it's the only possible reading. I don't think this is like indisputable. Mm-hmm. No one could ever come up with another answer. But this all sort of brings us to my point of view about the vow portion of the pledge is basically like, if you need to do it, it's okay to do it because it's kind of not true anyway. So it's not even a valid vow. It's just some stuff that you're saying. In my opinion, no one out there can make a case that the United States truly is one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. That is a bridge too far. So that is on the side of how to feel about saying the pledge. That's actually putting us towards the direction of like, it might be okay. So now we're going to drive into the idol worship question, which of course will also be debatable, but is going to take us in sort of the opposite direction. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. We're going on a Vodazara 41A, where our sugya starts with a Mishnah. Kol hatsalamim asurim mipnei shechin naravdin pa'am echad b'shana divrei ramimeyer uchachomim ongrim so the Mishnah says all statues are forbidden 
because they are worshipped at least once a year. They basically mean in their times, in the Tanaitic times, you can't derive benefit from statues because they are objects of idol worship because they tend to be worshipped at least once a year, which is what it takes for their idol status to be re-upped. Whoa, whoa, okay, wait a minute. So if I worship an idol once every two years... That is beyond the scope of what I'm going to get into today. That's a whole separate halachic and very interesting question, not one that I'm going to get into with regards to the flag. Okay, wow. Okay, did I just, like, break Judaism? No, not at all. I'm sure a million people out there have answers to your question. It's just not one I did the research to answer today because we're talking about the second part of the Mishnah. All right, all right, let's go to the second part. So Rebbe Mayer is the one who said all statues, and then the rabbis say the only type of statue that's forbidden is one that has in its hand a staff, a bird, or an orb. Wait, the only kind that's forbidden? Mm-hmm, exactly. So Rebbe Mayer said all statues, and then the rabbis, they're the ones who we ultimately paskin by, we ultimately hold the halacha by, come in and say it's actually only the statues that are forbidden are the kinds that have a bird, an orb, or a staff. Wait, how did they, what? Did they like come up? I'm so glad you asked. So we go on later in the Gemara and the rabbis say, (laughs) So they're quoting our Mishnah and they say, A staff is forbidden because it symbolizes ruling under itself the entire world, like a staff. So the reason the staff is forbidden is because it symbolizes dominion over everything. The bird is forbidden because it symbolizes the idol grasping the entire world under its foot like a bird, as one grasps a bird in their hand. And the orb symbolizes dominion as the idol grasps the entire world, as one grasps an orb in their hand. Oh, okay, okay, fine. I can see why that's all bad. Bad, 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 bad. <laughs> but are they saying idols that don't have that are okay? Just like like a, like a Buddha? Is that fine? My sense of what is happening in this Mishnah is... We're dealing with statues that are dubious as to whether they're idols or not. Oh, okay. Okay. And we're not dealing with, like, can I worship this statue? We're dealing with, can I derive benefit from it? Which is, like, a whole other question that takes up a lot of time in Masachet of Rodazara. But my sense of what is happening on this stuff is they're dealing with, like, an abundance of caution. If you see a statue of fucking Zeus you're going to know that the statue of Zeus is not kosher. But if you see a statue that's just a dude, is it an idol or is it not an idol? You don't know what those crazy Romans and Greeks and Babylonians are getting up to. You don't know. You can't keep up with all the hip young gods. I see, I see. So if it's like a statue of Zeus, this is all made-up bullshit historical nonsense. But if you saw a statue of Zeus and you're like, that's an idol. Everyone goes there. I'm going to set up shop there so I can sell my tchotchkes. That wouldn't be allowed. You're benefiting from a vote. Yes, I think that wouldn't be allowed. Another classic example is like, and this is getting into the extreme side of things, but what if there was a wooden idol and you burned it because you wanted to get rid of it? And then what if the ashes fertilized your field? Okay, right, right, right. And all kinds of crazy stuff on and on like that. But if it's just Marcus Aurelius or someone... You're like, okay, well, I can benefit from 
the statue being there, set up my shop next to it, I'm not benefiting from a Votazara. Unless it has an orb. Unless it has an orb, and then just to be on the safe side, or a bird or a staff. Okay, I got it. Okay, okay. That context helps. Yeah. So... This is the most simple answer I could come up with, basically. I mean, there were a lot of ways I could have attacked this question, but the most simple answer I could come up with is, to me, it seems self-evident that the United States flag symbolizes dominion in the same way that a statue with an orb or a staff or a bird does. Mm, In the way that the rabbis are describing it, they're referring to, like, dominion over all of mankind. I'm imagining a civic Roman or Babylonian statue of a ruler. Mm -hmm. Does that... mm, Never mind. Continue, Hava. Continue. (laughs) All of this is just to say, I think the same thing that the rabbis find objectionable in these statues is present in the flag. And we could have a an argument about regional versus universal dominance. In my opinion, even though the United States flag nominally is a symbol of regional control, it functionally is a symbol of a kind of universal control. What I am trying to do is to give our listener, our beloved, dear, precious baby angel listener, yes, yes, support in saying, essentially, I can't say the Pledge of Allegiance because the rabbis object to someone benefiting from or pledging allegiance to anything that is a symbol of domination, essentially. Which to me is like a solid enough argument that you can go right here to Vodazara 41A and pick up. And there's even more, there's like this great quote, one of my favorite verses from Psalm 146, don't put your trust in nobles, because basically like men have no power to save. So you could, if you were a rabbinic kind of character, say like, it's pretty wham bam, thank you, ma'am, to say pledging allegiance and putting your trust in nobles. That's a pretty easy verbal analogy to make. Yep, yep. Or that psalm is just like, don't do it. So you could even bring out Psalm 46 if you wanted to bring out some more texts, basically objection to symbols of domination, objection to putting your trust in man. You know, I just want our listener to feel like there's some grounding. There's probably other stuff out there that justifies Jews pretending like to yes, fit in. Yes, there definitely is. And that is another direction of sources I considered bringing up in this episode is there's definitely stuff out there that's like, if you got to do it, Sometimes you just gotta do it. However, Avodazara is one of the three things that does not get canceled out by Pikuach Nefesh, by Protection of Life. So, I mean, we did a whole episode on Jewish martyrdom. That's going all the way back. So then you have to get into this whole question of, in that situation, is it Avodazara and therefore maybe one should stick to their guns? Or is it just sort of like distasteful there's a whole spread of questions we're getting into personally because of the complications around the principle of protection of life and all of that my personal answer for myself would be i wouldn't want to say the pledge of allegiance out of abundance of caution for avoiding a vodazara or the appearance of a vodazara i'm not sure i would be willing to die to avoid saying the pledge of allegiance and there are some versions of halacha that if something is a vodazara, 
that is what they want us to do. So to me, you get into a little bit of a complicated area taking a strong stance on something being definitively a Votazara. I feel a lot more comfortable being like, this is a Votazara-like enough mm-hmm. that it is like not does not behoove one to do it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you don't even have to go so far as this level of halakhic analysis to just, on the surface, just look at the Pledge of Allegiance and say it's ridiculous. But what's nice is you can use this information to then call your homeroom teacher an anti-Semite. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Which is what we all want. Which we all know is true. Right. But now we, you know, have the evidence for it. Now we can prove it. Yes. Goodness gracious. So, yes, listener, I hope this has been helpful. Psalm 146 and Avodazar 41a. Those are your places to go for the arguments that I brought. I hope having these sources is supportive to you in your quest to feel a little more grounded in the Jewish thought on this issue. And we appreciate your question so very much. It was a pleasure to dive into. Yeah, thanks for writing in. Next week, we have a guest. Next week, we have a guest. We're going to have a guest to talk about Jewish veganism and vegetarianism and animal sacrifices in the world to come. It's going to be a sexy little ep. So gird your loins for that, people. Yeah. Okay. Well, hope you all have a beautiful day, beautiful week, you know, beautiful life. Yeah, beautiful life. And Shavuot Shavuot Shavuot